You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, class, take your seats. I said take your seats. Class, sit. I swear you're all acting like a bunch of animals. Pet Life Radio presents Teacher's Pet, where you'll learn how to understand and communicate with your pet and train them to be the best pet they can be. It's time to see the world from your pet's point of view. So give a tail-wagging welcome to your Teacher's Pet host on PetLifeRadio.com. You may even learn a few tricks yourself. Hi, welcome to Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. This is Pia Silvani, Director of Training and Behavior at St. Hubert's Animal Welfare Center in Madison, New Jersey, and your host. I would like to welcome our very special guest this week, Dr. Alice Moon Finelli. Dr. Moon specializes in ethology and animal behavior genetics at Tufts University Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine. She's internationally known for her expertise in animal behavior and regularly advises veterinarians, trainers, breeders, and animal owners in behavior at Tufts University Behavior Clinic. She is currently, which I'm really looking for, writing a book on canine genetic behavior. Dr. Moon's research includes the causes, treatment, and inheritance of compulsive behaviors, which we will discuss at a later date, which I know you'll find interesting. But she's also studied wolf's social behavior and the inheritance of the coyote defensive threat and coyote beagle hybrids. She continues her research on wild canine behavior and is now on the board of the New Guinea Singing Dog Conservation Society. Today we're going to be talking to Dr. Moon about the all too popular topic dominance in dogs. What is dominance? What does it really mean? And we're going to look at dominance not only from a scientific standpoint, but what the books or television, what they're telling us as well. And the big question is, do dogs actually exhibit dominance within their social group? And our expert will help to clarify all of this for you. You may be surprised at what she has to say, or it may confirm what you truly felt about your dog all along. So before we meet Dr. Moon, let's take a short break to hear from our sponsors. Okay, class, grab your tuna flakes, biscuits, and bones. Teacher's Pet will be back in two shakes of a tail, right after recess. Greetings, human. What planet am I on? Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, Candid Pictures of You and Your Pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No. To my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Ladies and gentlemen, Pet Life Radio proudly presents DSPN, the Dog Sports and Performance Network. 
Get ready to unleash the dog sports enthusiast in all of us. From speed drawing and mushing to racing, agility, and competition. This is the place to learn all about the dog sports and activities that you can do with your furry best friend and canine competitor. So get ready for game time. DSPN with your host, Lori Williams. Every week, on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, class, hang up your collars and leashes. Teacher's Pet is back in session. Now park yourselves on the floor. I said park, not bark. Okay, Teacher's Pet. Pay attention. There may be a quiz later. Welcome back. This is Pia Silvani, host of Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. I'd like to give a warm welcome to today's special guest and dear friend, Dr. Alice Moon Finelli from Tufts University, who will be talking to us about dominance not only in dogs, but wolves as well. This is actually part one of a two-part interview, since the topic is quite in-depth, and Alice and I have talked about it at great length many times. Part two of the interview will confirm what you thought or to educate you on what science has discovered and what people simply think. Hi, Alice. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Pia. How is everything up in your area? The weather is gorgeous here. Wonderful. It's beautiful. It is. It is. You and I have discussed this topic over and over and over again. (laughs) Yes. And so have other professionals. And it's so confusing. And I really like to call it the dirty D word since I recently lectured to trainers on dominance. And before I, when I was developing my lecture, I decided to do some research on it. And there was not one professional that could agree on a term. So can you once and for all give us, if you can, if there is one, a clear definition so our audience can have a better understanding of what we're really talking about when they use the term? The traditional definition of dominance is priority access over preferred limited resources. And while that sounds nice and clean, then owners will say, well, my dog is guarding this particular resource for me, therefore it's dominant. But it's not that simple because aggression is complex. You have emotions involved, you have the actual behavior involved, and then you have the social role involved, uh, which would be the dominant subordinates. Uh, concept, and that varies depending on whom the dog is interacting with. Interesting. And I, I guess, well, obviously, we know there's a difference between domestic dogs and wolves, yet people still compare the two, and they feel that they're so closely linked. So let's talk a, a little bit about the difference in the two and maybe break it down into three categories. Maybe first the genetic differences, and then we'll look at the behavioral differences and lifestyle differences. So let's start first with the genetic difference. I think there's a um, general concept, and this dates back to the World War II era um, where it was the survival of the fittest and um, dominance and subordinates concepts were, uh, in terms of race, were very prevalent. And the European ethologists at that time uh, started really um, attributing dominance to uh, many of the con- uh, conflict behaviors that we see between, say, dogs and their owners. 
And it was oversimplified, and they were com- directly comparing wolves to dogs, and everybody thought that they had a wolf in their living room and whatnot, and <laughs> nothing could be further from the truth. As I see it, if you look, and, and having this interest now with the New Guinea singing dog and the uh, primitive dogs, and if you look at other canid species, most of them are either solitary or pair-bonded or, or sort of move in loose and temporary groups. And the wolf is actually highly specialized. The wolf is unique if you compare it to all the other, the other canid species. Um, and the reason the wolf evolved to be a bit unique, I, I believe, is because of what they eat. And they need, because they fit into a niche where they eat um, prey on large animals, they need to function as a tightly knit social group. And if you're going to live in a tightly knit social group that stays together in order to survive, you have to have certain social rules. If you look at other canids, be it feral dogs or the village dogs in in various primitive societies, um, coyotes, they are pretty flexible in terms of what they prey upon. And so they don't necessarily need to live in a tightly knit social group. So the dominance factor is a bit less ritualized than those canids. Interesting. So, so do you think that people, as the result of sort of this pack theory that we always hear about, and um, you know, wolves living in packs, and now we're living with our dog, we're part of the pack. Do you think that's where that confusion came in? I don't think we're really living in a pack, I and mean, I don't think dogs are as much. Like I just said, they're not as ritualized in terms of their pack structure as wolves are. And we've also made a lot of genetic changes in the domestic dogs, selecting them for various aspects of their normal behavior in order to make them better companions, uh, which is what their current function is primarily, and in order to select them to perform certain jobs. So for the guarding breeds, we accentuated their territorial behavior. And for some of the hunting breeds, perhaps we selected for aspects of their predatory behavior, but we attenuated it so that they're not actually going in for the kill. But the majority of dogs that I see in the clinic with their owners uh, for owner-directed aggression issues are strictly companions. And those dogs aren't allowed to be dogs. Right, right. We don't want them to be territorial because we don't want to get sued. We highly frown upon them going out and uh, hunting down their dinner because the neighbor's cat and the neighbor would be very unhappy if our dog chose to have the neighbor's cat for dinner. Right. We we put them in artificial social groups with the other dogs and animals that we choose for them to live with. We don't let them breed. Uh, They basically don't have an opportunity to be dogs. So we really, we can't compare the two. I mean, they're like night and day when we think about it then, in other words. It's night and day. You were talking about the environment. It's, it's, it's night and day in terms of the environments that they live in, and domestic dogs live in an environment where we give them everything they need. What's the point of being dominant? It's, it's maladaptive. Right, right. There's nothing, to, there's nothing to compete for because everything is given far too freely, which will be part two. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, where did the word al- then alpha come in? I mean, everybody thinks the need to be alpha over their dog, and can this really have a negative impact on the relationship between the owners and the dog? It absolutely can have a negative impact. The alpha comes in from being dominant, from the misconstrued concept based on observations of wolves in captive situations that there was a strict linear hierarchy. And in fact, with wolves, it isn't as strict 
and ritualized as it's made out to be in the literature. Yes, it is more so than with domestic dogs, but um, there's a lot of flexibility, and much like humans, there's a lot of changing of roles to suit the situation. It's, it's a little, it's more flexible than is as has been uh, previously thought. I'm sure that you've heard this too. Um, I, I know people have come to me and they, with their three year old child, and they say they need their child to be alpha over the dog. Oh, good grief! <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, how do you how do you answer that if a client comes to you and says that? The thing is, because good grief, of, <laughs> good grief. That's no, right. Because of the environment that our dogs, our domestic dogs, live in, and because of the ge- genetic changes that we've made to the domestic dog, there really is no need to be alpha. There, there's no particular adaptive value to having a dominance hierarchy situation. We treat our dogs like children. And would you want to be alpha to your child? Of course not. Of course not. You know, would you want to dominate your child? Of course not. You want to educate them to have manners, to say please, to, to understand that there are behavioral limitations in their social environment, and to be respectful. But it has nothing to do with dominance. So what we really need to do is help people focus more on the relationship that they have, sort of that give you and take. You bet. Okay. It's so much more about communication than worrying about dominating because once they get the concept into their head that they need to dominate their dog, they become aggressive towards their dog, which then creates conflict for the dog, which yep. then results in aggression, which then means I still have a job in this terrible economy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Good. It's it, it just a, it's the communication, the style of interaction needs to be, that's the focus that I um, usually take with owners to make them understand that it's, it's not all about that. It's not that there isn't dominance. Anytime you have a social interaction, be it at work or, you know, with your colleagues, whatever, there is a hierarchy that happens with all social species. But people are focusing far too much on the social role aspect and not so much on the behavior and the interaction and the communication. Excellent. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear from our sponsors. And when we get back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Moon on dominance. Okay, class, grab your tuna flakes, biscuits, and bones. Teacher's pet will be back in two shakes of a tail right after recess. When you're looking to add a pet into your life, consider adopting a homeless animal from your local shelter or rescue group. Whether you want a kitten, puppy, or a more mature pet, a purebred or a -a one-of-a-kind mixed breed, even a rabbit or hamster, your shelter has the best selection of animals anywhere, all screened for good health and behavior. PetLifeRadio.com presents Take Me Home with your host, Susan Daffron. Join us each week as we showcase wonderful pets, tell stories, and even throw some pet education into the mix. So get ready to find out why the pet adoption option can be a great way to add a furry companion into your life. Take me home every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. 
class, hang up your collars and leashes, Teacher's Pet is back in session. Now park yourselves on the floor. I said park, not bark. Okay, Teacher's Pet. Pay attention, there may be a quiz later. Welcome back to Teacher's Pet on Pet Life Radio. This is Pia Silvana, your host, and joining us is Dr. Alice Moonfinelli, a certified applied animal behaviorist, talking to us about dominance in dogs. Hi, Alice. Hi, Pia. Okay, let's let's move on to this because you you've brought up a little bit um, several things about owner directed aggression, and I know I've seen a huge increase in this over the past. Uh, dogs bite basically biting the people they live with, and you know they're sort of stuck in like we were we're talking about sort of it resulted in dominance. And do you think that the use of various techniques could be causing more problems? And what techniques might they be? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. There's been a resurgence of uh, this concept of needing to be alpha, and there's a misconception uh, that's in the literature and on popular television shows that in order to be alpha, you have to grab your dog by the muzzle, stare it directly, and stare directly into its eyes, roll it over. The alpha roll is a huge thing until it submits and stops struggling. And I can tell you from my time at the University of Connecticut and watching our unsocialized pack of wolves, I never saw a dominant animal go up to a subordinate and alpha roll it and pin it unless it was an act of outright aggression over something. Okay. So basically, when owners are doing this to their dogs, if they, they're being aggressive, they're not being a dominant. With wolves, the wolf, the subordinate wolf, and they're very ritualized, and we don't see this in our domestic dogs, not even in our domestic dog-dog interactions. When a subordinate wolf goes up to a higher-ranking wolf, they will fall to the ground in submission. Or, I mean, that would be the extreme case, but they will, they will offer up body language indicating that they view themselves as submissive. The dominant animal never forces that upon them. Once you bring force into the situation, you're talking about aggression. And who got a dog to be aggressive towards it? But they really misunderstand. So what they end up doing is they're being aggressive towards the dog. The dog still you know, retains that concept of, man, if I'm pinned and stared at and my neck's being held down, my owner doesn't like me. He's being aggressive. And some right. dogs will just go belly up. But other dogs say, you know what, that was unfair, I'm not taking this, and they come back. And what happens is the owners then get frustrated, and they come back at them with more of their quote-unquote alpha, which what I would call aggressive um, handling techniques, and the dog eventually ups the ante. Dogs don't come out of the womb aggressive. They mm-hmm. learn to become aggressive, and owners teach their dogs to become aggressive because they don't pay attention to the body language. They don't look at the, the look away. They don't look at... And the body language, the body tension, the relaxation, they don't pay any attention to it. Owners just want what they want. And they push the dog and push the dog and push the dog. They ignore the growl. They ignore the snarl. They ignore the snap until the dog bites. And then the dog learns that biting is a very effective strategy to control their owner's behavior or to get what it wants. And, and a good point on that, too, when you said even ignoring the growl, I think what a lot of people, clients that come to me, what they've done is they have the dog growls at them as a warning. They might start off first with a look, like you said, and then it builds to a growl and they punish the growl. Growling is totally inappropriate. 
So they're continually punishing the growl. And talk to us a little bit about the problems with that. Well, then the dog loses. Whether they punish it or they ignore it, either way, what happens with the dog is they learn that all of their natural social communicative signals aren't effective. So they just skip past all the preliminaries and go straight to the bike. And then the owners say, my dog is trying to dominate me and I need to be alpha. And then they punish the dog by doing the alpha roles and whatnot. And then the dog becomes basically fearful of the owner. I mean, I've had owners say, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm doing this to my dog. Yep, you are. Would you do that to your child? Would you do that to a friend? No. No. What is it about human arrogance that allows us to treat dogs like they have no feelings? And and I think many times, like in defense of the average pet owner, they've been told to do this by professionals. You bet. This is, it's so, rampant. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely rampant lately. It's, yeah. Uh, I have more and more, most of my caseload now is a, a dog's uh, aggression and dogs biting their owners because they've been sitting around watching television or, you know, reading various um, articles on the Internet that teach them that they have to be alpha, which I call aggressive, towards their dog. Dogs only do what works for them, so eventually they're just going to say, you know what, <laughs> biting works for me. Right. And then it starts over one issue, and then it just they just generalize. As the owner gets more nervous because they're nervous about their dog biting them, more and more interactions you know, between the dog and the owner become suspect, and the dog just starts using the aggression more and more and more. Right, right. And probably uh, to add on to that, what I'm seeing too, the owners that tend to be very physical with their dogs, they can't do simple things, just just like hugging the dog, you know, restraining the dog if they need a nail clip or, you know, just doing day-to-day things with the dog. No, because the dog is so nervous around them. It's so conflicted. It never knows when the owner is going to do something that the dog perceives as Irrational isn't the word I want, but it's right. what's coming to mind. So there, there becomes a lack of trust and a lack of bonding. And, and owners often, they're very inconsistent in their commands with their dogs and uh, in their interactions. One time, uh, they'll ask their dog to sit before they give it something, and the next time they won't, and sometimes they say, sit Ten times, and other times they say it once and they expect a response, and the dog gets very confused. You need to have consistent communication. And the other problem I see with that creates conflicts for, for dogs uh, with their owners is that the owners never take the lead. Mm. They never take the lead, and they aren't consistent in their communication. They're always reacting. They wait until their dog does something, and then they react, and they often overreact, which creates you know, more stress for the dog. And they don't, the owners don't mean to do this. Right. They, right. they just, they just, they don't know, or they've gotten incorrect information on how to be, quote unquote, alpha, and they don't do it correctly, which makes it even worse. When dogs were allowed to be dogs back when I was a kid in the 50s, they were better off. But now we've got them confined into a household and we expect them to be like our children, their surrogate children. And we would never treat our children the way we treat our dogs. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's very stressful for dogs in this, this day and age because of our expectations for them and our lack of knowledge or access to 
incorrect information that has uh, has owners mishandling their dogs. Or lack of time, too. And lack see- of time. Uh, yeah. you, you know, the, the thing that makes me the craziest are these costumes and pushing them around in strollers. I just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, please let them be dogs. Right. They have and letting them be dogs is time-consuming for owners. It's brought up the time issue because you need to get them out and get them doing something. You bet. You bet. We're going to talk a little bit more about this next week, but I just want to bring up one other topic on dominance. And more and more people are living um, with multiple dogs. And I probably see at least one case a week regarding dogs that are fighting within the household. And once again, the advice given to them on television or the web or still in, in books is to achieve dominance or maybe support the alpha or the dominant dog. And I find a lot of problems with that advice. Um, what's your opinion on that? Well, first thing is we, we pick dogs because we want the particular dogs with no respect or consideration for the incumbent dog in the household as to whether or not that dog would want to live with this other dog. Right. So we, we create problems and conflict because we, we created, as I said earlier, these artificial social groups that may or may not be well-suited to one another. I mean, I often say to clients, I say, okay, I'm going to go out in the waiting room and I'm going to pick out some people to come and live with you. And the uh, basis of my criteria for selection will be that I like their outfits. <laughs> and let's see how well you'll get along with them. And they kind of look at me horrified. I said, that's what you did with your dogs. You didn't put them together. In terms of this supporting, creating a hierarchy and supporting the incumbent or the higher-ranking animal, I think the technique can be helpful but not for the reasons that it's said to be helpful. I don't think it's that we're creating a hierarchy in which we have the alpha and the beta and the omega. I think by telling owners to pick dogs and support them in order, it creates some consistency and routine for the dog, which decreases stress because the dogs know how things are going to go, as opposed mm-hmm. to the chaos. Right. You know, you get the, the owners mix up, they've got three dogs and they mix up the food. And the typical situation is the dogs are bouncing around and begging, and there's one that's relatively polite. Oftentimes, the first dog in the household that the owner spent more time with, and then the, the newcomer, who's maybe been there a couple of years, but it's that's the dog that they got to be a companion to the original dog, so they didn't spend that much time really training this dog. So that one has no sense of self-control, and it's bouncing around, and it's yapping, and it's the I, I, me, me, my, I want this, I want that. And so it creates this high level of arousal, which can result in aggression, if, if, uh, depending on the temperament of the dogs. But if you say, okay, I'm going to support the first dog that was here, the one that's better trained, the one that has better self-control, I'm going to make him the number one dog. And then the second dog that came to the household is going to be number two. And, and you've got to figure in size and sex and temperament and all that. And you say dog number one eats first, dog number two eats second, dog number three eats third. Then you're having the owner say, you must all sit, you must all wait, and this is the order it's going to happen in. I don't think the dogs care in terms of the hierarchy for the most part. It's just finally there's some structure. Right, right. 
Yeah, and that's what I find too. It's it's total lack of structure, and it, it, it's it's sort of trying to change what one wants. For for example, um, we'll finish up with this, and we'll talk more next week. There were three dogs that were fighting to go up the stairs, and I said, "Let's see what the natural order is." And mm-hmm. obviously, it was the golden retriever that always wanted to go first. And what the owner had done was she wanted the shepherd to go first, but the shepherd didn't want to go first, so. It's just they. Sometimes I think we interrupt the natural process and the natural flow. Do you agree with that's, that? That's a huge point. And one of the things I emphasize with my my clients is stop talking, <laughs> right? Stop expecting and just watch. Mm. As mythologist, that's what I was trained to do. I just stand there and I just watch. So what are you doing? I'm watching your dog. What do you see? Nothing yet. It it takes time. You just don't look at it and figure it out. You watch it over time. And you watch the interactions and you watch the flow. And owners, and I sound like I'm being very critical of owners, and I'm not. In our society today, nobody watches anything, nobody listens to anybody. Everybody's running around. You need to stop and relax. And it's good for your health, too. And just watch your dogs. What -hmm. are they doing? Because they have lots and lots and lots to say to you if you'd only stop and listen. And when you stop and listen, the golden retriever wants to go up the stairs first, so be it. Let it go. Absolutely. They'll they'll tell you. And in the cases where they won't, where in many cases, the dogs have got it figured out and we just keep butting in. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Or creating situations that are such high levels of arousal that the dogs are just, they can't even figure it out anymore because they're caught up in our fast lane pace which is not a natural thing for a dog to to do. But you can have situations where there is a bully, and that dog needs to be, the owners always want to support that bully as the number one dog. Oh, he's alpha, he's dominant, because look, he's picking fights with with this particular dog. Mm -hmm. No, he's not alpha. He's not a control bully. And that's the dog that needs to learn self-control, which means you go second. Good. I'm going to end on that. And we're going to continue this topic next week. So, and we can go on and on and on about this. But um, oh, we could. Not, yes, <laughs> we could. We've been known to do that. Yes, we have. So we're not finished with this topic. Next week, Dr. Moon will return and talk to us about the challenges that we have with our dogs and what really works and what doesn't work when it comes to dealing with behavior problems and some common terms that are used or suggested, again, on television, in literature. Maybe you've heard it, the Nothing in Life is Free program, a Learn to Earn program. So we're going to talk about that next week. So I'd like to thank Dr. Moon for joining us today, as well as a special thanks to our producers for making this show happen. If you'd like a transcript of this show or any other shows on Pet Life Radio Network, please go to PetLifeRadio.com and click on Teacher's Pet. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, please email me at Pia at PetLifeRadio.com. So, until next time and next week, I'm signing off. Thank you, Alice, and thank you for your interest in Pet Life Radio. School's in session on Pet Life Radio with Teacher's Pet. Learn how to communicate with your pet, train your pet, and see the world from your pet's point of view. You may even learn a few tricks yourself. Teacher's Pet, only on PetLifeRadio.com.